turkey porn coming up. Greetings, salutations, and happy Thanksgiving, everybody. It's the Thanksgiving weekend edition of the Bitterness and Rage Show. Right up to the post, my friends. That's how we professional D-E-E-J-A-Ys do it. I am, don't want to forget my usual standard opening, I am the Mayflower of Bitterness, your pilgrim of rage, on this gravy-soaked special Thanksgiving weekend edition of the Bitterness and Rage show. Let me give you my particulars before I dive into the rundown. At Bitter and Rage on your Twitter machines. Go to iTunes, friends. Subscribe to the Bitterness and Rage show. Leave me a nice comment. Say something super friendly in this, the holiday spirit, the season of Thanksgiving and all the other wintertime, solstice, transitional, politically correct labels for whatever you celebrate between now and the rest of your life. Uh, bitternessandrage at gmail.com. That's the email address, so you can send me all kinds of comments, including why it is that I just politically corrected all of the holidays. Um, got a steaming pile for you, as always, on today's show. Going to talk some Adrian Peterson. We're going to pick over the leftover carcass that is Ray Rice. Athletes, money, and family, which will probably end up being a new feature on the Bitterness and Rage show. Then um, something near and dear to my heart is a local Washingtonian, uh, the benching of Robert Griffin III and why the Redskins could be 0 for 2 when it comes to trading draft picks um, for Heisman Trophy winners. Uh, an extra special edition of the QSR Spotlight, and as always, we will end things with the dope of the week. But as promised, I want to start with some turkey porn. What better way to ring in the holiday season and say goodbye to Thanksgiving than a little turkey porn story? This is from uh, Marketplace.org. An interview with Stephen Dubner. Stephen Dubner is the co-author, along with Stephen Levitt, of the book Freakonomics. If you have not yet read it, and I'm not paid, I'm not a shill for my good friend Stevens, um, but you should read it because it's a fascinating look at just about everything. But that's enough of that. This is a show about sports and food and not about intellectual pursuits like reading. So in this interview with Stephen Dubner, they were talking about turkeys. And the kind of turkey that's being served at your Thanksgiving table. And it turns out, it turns out that the turkeys that are being served are the products of artificial insemination. But that's not why we're here, folks. We're here to describe the process and what it would cost you if you decide to go the natural route. <clears throat> cough button in getting your Thanksgiving turkey. So, uh, according to Dubner, and this was in 2011, um, that still rings true today, that Americans will eat about 40 million turkeys during the month of November. And the percentage of those 40 million turkeys, give or take a few, that were the product of artificial insemination, who quote Stephen Dubner, pretty close to 100%. Ah, good. Here's some nice romantic music as we talk about turkey porn now um let me turn that down a little it's super loud um the 1950s traditional turkeys were being pushed out by a breed called the broad-breasted white oh parents please um take your kids away from the radio during this segment and then they can come back in about three minutes 
So the breasts on these turkeys apparently grow bigger and faster than the traditional bird, and the broad-breasted white, as they are called, has been selectively bred to have, wait for it, the largest breasts possible. I'm talking about turkeys still, folks. Please, don't call the FCC on me. Now, the um, representative from the USDA, Julie Long, says that uh, the modern turkey, this would be the broad-breasted white, has quite large turkey breasts, and it makes it, quote, physically impossible because it gets in the way when the male and the female try to create, wait for it, offspring, baby broad-breasted white turkeys. Okay, so you get in the picture here that the uh, turkeys that are being bred are too bosomy for the normal type of uh, reproductive fun that one expects on Thanksgiving. So to accommodate and to reproduce and to make sure that you get plenty of food on your Thanksgiving table, a team of workers has to pick up each male breeder, the Tom, which might weigh as much as 70 pounds to secure his contribution, as they call it in the trade. I'm reading right from the article now. And then bring that to the hen house to inseminate each hen. So basically, um, once a week for five to six months, you have to go to work with... This is Julia Longan from the USDA. You have to go to work with the males and then go work with the females in order to produce the meat that goes out for the consumer. I'll just let that sink in for a moment. Out to the consumer, your artificially bred turkeys. There is a bright side, according to Dubner. A silver lining, as he says, if you don't like the idea of artificially inseminated turkeys and you want to serve your family a turkey that is the product of, as he says, natural old-fashioned turkey reproduction, then you get what's called a heritage turkey. The heritage turkey, if you're wondering, can cost you as much as 150 to $200 for a turkey that's not going to gross out you and your entire family. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Aren't you glad I did that today, two days after Thanksgiving? Hope you had a great one. Okay, let's now make the awkward transition, shall we, from turkeys that have to be artificially inseminated to Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson. Now, yesterday, Ray Rice's uh, suspension, lifetime suspension, was overturned, meaning he's now now eligible, in the words of Dean Wormer from Animal House, now eligible for NFL service. We're going to get back to him in a moment, maybe. Um, I really do want to talk about Adrian Peterson and his lifetime suspension and his pending appeal, or excuse me, his one-year suspension and his pending appeal. And I don't want to go back down the road of comparing abuses and crimes and whether or not the NFL did the right thing. I've done enough of that, and quite frankly, I'm fatigued. What I wanted to comment on, though, was the defenders of Adrian Peterson. Maybe defenders is too strong a word. Those that are justifying what he's done and why it shouldn't be a lifetime Excuse me. A one year. I keep saying lifetime. No, not a lifetime. A one year ban. And the most common song, the most common refrain that we hear about Adrian Peterson is that it's a cultural thing. And who are we, the NFL and the American public, I presume, who are we to judge how a person disciplines their child? And look, I'm a parent. 
and I don't think this makes me far too subjective for this, but I discipline my children. Arguably, I discipline my children, and I don't ever lay a hand on them. But more to the point, we can't defend abuse and violence and making a child bleed by hiding behind the skirt of it's a cultural thing, it's a geographic thing, it's a regional thing, it's abusive. And those out there that say what Ray Rice did is much less justifiable and much worse by hitting his fiance now spouse, the two shouldn't be held up to the same level. And I would say, and I'm, again, not going to compare domestic abuse to child abuse, but one man hitting another adult versus one man hitting another child and making that child bleed at four years old, not old enough to defend itself, not old enough to know better. I, I wouldn't have the guts to stand up in front of anyone and say, it's okay to make this child bleed because it's a cultural thing. Any culture that celebrates making children bleed and making children cry and, and accepting the violent not just disciplinary, but violent striking of a child is no more repugnant or no less repugnant than accepting that a man can raise his hands to a woman. No one says that's a culturally accepted phenomenon, and nobody would. So let's not say that Adrian Peterson deserves a break because he was just spanking his child. He was just disciplining his child. And that's how they did things. That's how his parents did things. And that's how their parents did things. That's never an excuse. I'm not going to go down this road any further, but just imagine if all the things that previous generations did made it okay. That we could just hand down violent, ignorant, and abusive acts through generations because that's how it's always been done. There are traditions that are meant to be kept and there are traditions that are meant to be broken. So please don't come to me and say Adrian Peterson deserves a break because we don't understand what it is to discipline children the way that he disciplines children. We don't understand what it's like to walk in his shoes because we're not from that part of the country. We are not part of that culture. Please, give me a break. And I'm not saying he should be suspended forever. But whatever punishment the NFL meets out, it should not be mitigated by the fact that this is a cultural phenomenon. And no one should accept that. No one. Back to Ray Rice for a minute. Uh, Ray Rice, in case you missed it, before he was um, beating up his fiance, was a shell of his former self in terms of uh, football player, and I can't believe we're finally talking about Ray Rice, the football player, and not Ray Rice, the domestic violence uh, offender. So, I would say the biggest punishment to Ray Rice is the fact that people are going to look at him now as a football player and say, you stunk. And I know there are teams out there that are going to be desperate for a running back, especially with the playoffs coming and wanting to keep their starting running backs fresh, but I don't know, Ray. Uh, now the biggest hurdle you have in getting back in the league is what's really important from a football standpoint, and that is your talent. And trust me, fantasy football players all over the country who invested high, a high draft pick in you last year only to suffer the disappointment 
of your 2013 season are not going to make the same mistake again. I don't know anybody that drafted you and stashed you on their bench like some did with Josh Gordon in the hopes that he would return to his former self when he came off of his suspension. So those that think Ray Rice should still be suspended indefinitely, forever, justice, I think, has been done. I mean, he's going to spend the whole year thinking about what he's done. He's going to come back next year. He may or may not play. But one year is enough. And if you think he's going to be... Well, okay, some team is going to sign him. I feel strong that some team is at least going to give him a look. Because when you strip away all the social restraints, it's football is football. And teams, no matter what they say publicly, want to do whatever they can to win. If somebody thinks that they can win with Ray Rice and their team, especially in the late season playoff push, and then into the playoffs, so be it. But the damage has kind of been done already, and maybe the lesson has been learned. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Ray Rice. But as I said, the real punishment now becomes, or the real impact is, hey, we don't have to look at you as an abuser anymore. We can look at you as a football player and you still stink. So I say good luck to you, Ray Rice. Um, perhaps you did more damage to yourself on the field than you did off the field. Speaking of damage, awkward segue, awkward segue, paging awkward segue. Let's talk about something that was supposed to be good in our athletes, family, and money segment of the program. This is what's wrong with sports, that even when there's something good Something we can all cling to and say, this makes us feel good about sports instead of the barrage of negative publicity that we get all the time. We all know, and we've all shed a tear, metaphorically or literally, for the daughter of Cincinnati Bengals defensive player Devin Still and his cancer-stricken daughter Leah. And we've all felt good about this story, about the money that's being donated for cancer research, about the, the Bengals cutting him and then putting him on the practice squad, then promoting him to the 53-man roster so he could get the benefit of the NFL insurance. And it was something we could say, well, you know, sports right now, it's kind of in the dumper with all the problems, especially in the NFL. I say the NFL is kind of in the dumper, not all sports in general, but people do have a jaded negative view about sports, it seems like. And then you get this from the New York Daily News, and this is from November 26, so just a couple days ago. Devin Still, here's the headline, exclusive. Cincinnati Bengals' Devin Still hasn't paid child support in months, says mother of cancer-stricken Leah Still. Still has not paid any child support for months for Leah Still, his sick four-year-old daughter who was honored on the field during the Bengals' 24-3 loss to the Cleveland Browns in Cincinnati earlier this month, according to Channing Smythe, Leah's mother. That was the first paragraph that I just read from the New York Daily News. So, there you have it, folks. Just when you think there's something to feel good about, you get this. You get a cold splash of water in the face. The cold splash of reality in today's sports. Now, clearly, um, Devin still has denied this. And he will fight this and says it's untrue, etc., etc., etc. You know, the usual denials. Nobody ever gets out in front of these things. They just deny it and deny it and deny it until they're backed into a corner. And they say, okay, you're right. Uh, yeah, I did it. The lawyer that is representing the mother is no less a law icon, a legal icon, than Gloria Allred, a noted civil rights attorney who's 
Quite frankly, you name the civil rights case, um, Gloria Allred is at least on the outside, but certainly involved with it. So it should tell you right there that if Gloria Allred's taking this case, yes, it's a high-profile case, but she doesn't chase frivolous lawsuits, generally speaking. When she gets involved, there's something there. There's more there than just rumor and speculation. Some would argue that she loves the spotlight, and this is a great chance for her to get into the spotlight. But if you've read the record, and this is not a law show, so we're not going to go through the record and discuss her ups and downs. But if you've seen the record, you would know that Gloria Allred doesn't just take on any case that comes before her just because it might put her name in the headline. She's beyond that, folks. Her name is a headline. So let that be an indication of the seriousness and the justifiability of this lawsuit. Uh, let's see, reading further into the article, um, apparently, as I sit here and read, isn't that exciting, Ready? I'm looking for where it says how much money. Oh, he makes $570,000 a year, and he told her he was not going to pay any amount at all and would see her in court. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't support his daughter's cause, because... His four-year-old daughter has nothing to do with this. If this is true and he really is kind of a jerk about paying child support and then on one hand, then the other hand, he's asking for money and saying, please support my sick daughter. It's not her fault. Let us not pretend that it is her fault and hold this against her. It's still a wonderful cause. Whatever, is, whatever money is being raised for the daughter and for cancer research, that's a wonderful thing. But don't you hate it? Don't you hate it that this whole thing has now been tainted? Because every time you see him and you see the tears and you see his daughter wearing the jersey, you think to yourself, this guy is pretty good at having other people support his daughter. But why can't he, a man who is making $600,000 a year roughly, and has been given a chance to make that money so that his daughter, he is taking up a roster spot, at least in the practice squad, so the NFL will cover his daughter's medical treatments, which I think on, from the Bengals standpoint is a wonderful move. But this guy can't kick a little to the mom. Apparently the mom is going to go bankrupt supporting um, her daughter on her own and not with the medical bills. Just to give you an idea of some of the expenses, she can't, she has to hire an ambulance service to take the daughter to and from treatments uh, because public transportation is not reliable and not safe and not the most sanitary environment. She needs a sanitary environment to transport the daughter from home to treatments. So it makes you a little bit angry. And this guy wants everybody else to pitch in, and it's a wonderful cause. I'm not trying to say you shouldn't. Please support this if that's what you're into. But it's tainted because he won't pay his child support, if this is true. If this is true... I'm not judge, jury, and executioner, as much as uh, some people accuse me of being. Not judge, jury, and executioner, not the JJE. But if it's true, if it's true, attention lawyers, attention lawyers, if it's true, then what he has done is just, and words fail me because now I'm starting to get angry. It's an awful, awful thing. Before you ask everyone else to support your family obligations, you need to make an effort too. Okay? Make an effort. If it's true, attention lawyers, if it's true, allegedly, if this is all true, if this is all true.
And now another story about the law, athletes, family, and money. In this one, instead of an athlete taking advantage of us, this is somebody taking advantage of an athlete. And good news, because this is Thanksgiving, the season of holiday spirit and togetherness and family and gravy, it's all about why athletes have no one they can trust. Friends, family. When athletes go broke and we say that, oh, the athlete is just flittering their money away, flitter, flitter. Sometimes it's the people you surround yourself with, the people you trust. And it's great, isn't it? It's great for what I do when it's your family that is the one that's taking your money and acting like it's there. So this is from the uh, Philadelphia Daily News, philly.com. And it's about Ryan Howard of your Philadelphia Phillies, who has recently been involved in a legal fight uh, against his twin brother, who sued him. So his twin brother, let me see, I'm going to read a little bit from this story, too, so you can get the whole picture. His twin brother sued him, so Ryan Howard's twin brother, Corey, sued him in December 2013 for more than $2.7 million. Okay, And then Ryan Howard countersued with allegations of fraud and mismanagement of, the, of his fortune. Now, if you're wondering how this all started, Ryan Howard makes a lot of money or made a lot of money. Okay? And his family convinced him that the best thing to do with all that money is to put it into a trust to be run by his father and mother, Ron and Cheryl Howard, and that his brother, Corey, the twin brother, Ryan Howard's twin brother, would be an employee of this foundation to be paid uh, a regular salary, which and somewhere in this article says that regular salary turned into about $8,000 every two weeks. For what, I have no idea. So the family takes control of the finances, um, and there was a basically all the money would go into this incorporation, which would then spend the money for whatever corporations spend the money on. It's going to turn out that it's going to be to spend money on his family without Ryan's permission. So some of the things that this foundation spent money on were a 2007 BMW, a 2007 Aston Martin, a 2011 Mercedes GL 550 truck to his parents. And finally, Ryan Howard had enough. He was wondering where all his money was going. Gee, I wonder why. And first he fired his brother which I believe he was the one that was authorizing all these gifts uh, to his parents. So his brother gets fired, and he says, well, now you, the brother, Corey, says, now you, Ryan, still owe me money because you wrongfully terminated me. And then he found out that his family had been paid about $3 million by his mother's authorization. Remember, it's the family foundation. Howard didn't know about these payments until he took control of his own foundation, his own corporation, in 2012. So, that's a lot going on, basically. Basically, uh, mom and dad, once uh, Ryan said, I'm going to take back control of my finances, mom and dad sued and said he should receive, dad should receive $5 million, and mom should receive $5 million for walking away from all this, and I guess for all the work that they had done. So, there's not much to say here about Ryan Howard and his family, except again to reiterate, when athletes go broke, and we're always quick to point the finger of accusation and say, well, they just spent all their money foolishly and they deserve what they get, sometimes it's the people you trust. 
Sometimes as an athlete, when you make a big pile of cash and you don't know what to do with it, you say, well, I'm going to put it in the hands of people that do know what to do with it and let them, I'm going to worry about knocking the ball out of the park or whatever sport you play, and I'll let other people worry about spending my money. And I'll keep some walking around money, but I'll let somebody else be their job. That They're better equipped. And sometimes those people aren't your friends. Sometimes those people are your family members. So on this, the fabulous Thanksgiving weekend, we say, you know, family is great. Family is wonderful. But when it comes to the dollar, when it comes to the cash, nobody is above reproach. Money does weird things to people, folks. And I'm proud to say that um, as one doesn't have any, I'm uh, safe from that kind of weirdness. So it's sad, isn't it, that money makes fools of us all. And let's remember... When athletes go broke, sometimes it's their fault. I think more often than not, it's their fault. But sometimes it's the people you trust the most, and that includes your family, that robs you blind. Because the dollar, the dollar doesn't care about bloodlines or friendship or trust or the right thing to do. So on this, your Thanksgiving weekend, just remember, say to your family, I love you. But I'm keeping my cash, and um, that's that. So there's a heartwarming uh, family message from your friends at the Bitterness and Rage show. Speaking of bitterness, hey, another awkward segue. Uh, Robert Griffin III was benched earlier this week, and the, the news broke at about 11.30 at night, which is always when um, you want big NFL news to break. And Robert Griffin III has finally been benched by Jay Gruden, of your Washington Redskins. And I'm not going to go down the diatribe road about the Washington Redskins and how painful it's been to be their fan for most of my life. You can just dig up an old podcast for that. I'm not even going to go through the justification of it because he was playing terribly. And the team has to win. And ultimately, the team is 53 guys, not one prima donna. So right decision, wrong decision. Gruden did what was best for the team. He benched him. And if Colt McCoy stinks, and they have to go back to Griffin, and he stinks, then you start thinking about the future and and who doesn't stink. And Kirk Cousins is in Siberia at this point. He's in uh, witness protection. We can also discuss whether or not he got a fair shake. But, you know, with three games, he threw about 100 interceptions, and that was enough for them. And I don't know whose career is deader, uh, Griffin's or Cousins. But the bigger point I want to make is this. If you bench him, and he's had a fair shake. This is his third year. He hasn't missed that many starts. He's had some some really bad injuries, but he's only missed uh, a few games, a handful of games. So there's a pretty good sample size on the Griff since that 3-13 and season. I believe he's won one game since 2012, since that 10-6, and six, excuse me, the 10-6 and six season uh, where they won the NFC East. I believe one game, uh, maybe. One, two, three games, something like that, and then the next or the successive two years. So he's had plenty of sample size. They've gotten a good look at him up there at Ashburn, where the Redskins headquarters is located. If you're going to bench him, then you have to make the decision that you're going to move on. You can't bench him, barring injury, of course, to whoever is starting. You can't bench him, bring him back in, or make him your starting quarterback for 2015. You can't, as they say, Keep him in your long-range plans. 
the press release that came out, the news story that broke, when it came out, it was, he's benched, but he's still part of our long-term plans. Well, if you've seen enough to bench him, you've seen enough to know whether or not he's your quarterback going forward. So what are you doing? I'm not saying cut him or trade him now. That's silly. I mean, you go into the offseason, you see who's out there, who would like a quarterback. Maybe you cut him, maybe you trade him. There's a story of the Jets, the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 are interested, which is really out of the frying pan into the fire for poor Griffin from one dysfunctional organization to another. But you've seen enough. So you bench him. If you haven't seen enough, if he is part of your plans next year, or if you haven't seen enough, then you keep playing him. Because, quite frankly, that team has bigger problems than just the quarterback. It's not as they put Cole McCoy in and the team's going to win a Super Bowl. There's offensive line problems. There's defensive secondary problems. There's all kinds of problems with the team. But you got to make a decision now. Maybe you don't tell the public. Maybe you've internally had these conversations. But right now, you cannot say, I'm benching you. I've seen enough. But you could be our guy in 2015. There's a... The, the Redskins fan in me, the panicky, fearful Redskins fan in me sees this scenario playing out where 2015 comes and he's your starting quarterback. So why bench him now? You're not benching him. You're not deactivating him like Shanahan did for three games to, quote, protect his health. You're benching him for a poor performance, which means you've seen enough. And yes, you have to do what's good for the team. But if you believe this is your guy going forward and you want to get him better, if you're committed to making him better, the only way to make him better is to throw him out there in games. Because you can no more keep him in at the expense of the team than you can cater to Pierre Garçon and Deshaun Jackson, the receivers who aren't getting enough attention. You can't cater to them at the expense of the whole team. So what are we doing here? What kind of games are being played by the Redskins? Has a fist been made on this guy? Is this the end of his career? Is he going to go well, end of his career in Washington, not his professional career? Are we going to now be 0 for 2? We. Are the Redskins going to be 0 for 2? Years ago, they traded draft picks to get up in the draft to draft Desmond Howard, who washed out with the Redskins and then would go on to a pretty good career, including being the MVP of the Super Bowl for the Green Bay Packers for his kickoff return duties. Are we going to be 0 for 2? Another guy that washed out here after we mortgaged the future, and a lot of our future was mortgaged. Fortunately, for, and for those of you watching on TV, you can see my, my fingers in the air quote sign. Fortunately, it appears they're not going to let the embarrassment or the trading of draft picks, the trading of the future, dictate this decision. Fortunately. But you got to decide. If this is the end of the line, it's the end of the line. You can't bench him, put him back in, bench him, put him back in. You got to work with him. You got to decide we can coach him up or we can't. And then you get what you can for him. So I hope what they're doing is smart. And that's never that's never better than a 50-50 proposition when you're talking about the Redskins. You got to figure out what you're going to do with this guy, folks. Are you benching him now because it's the end of the line for him as a Redskin? Or are you trying to send another message? more messages, a Shanahan-like we're going to do things my way sort of message. I don't know what they're doing there. But if he's your starting quarterback in 2015, barring some sort of calamity to the other quarterbacks, then you have to scratch your head and wonder what it was all about. You really do.
All right, now is the time usually when we have the uh, QSR Spotlight, which ordinarily I say is sponsored by the Junk Food Guy, and then I give all his particulars. But today, it's going to be starring the Junk Food Guy, or as his, his friends like to call him Eric Wong. Uh, thank you very much for joining me today. This is quite a thrill, considering I love food almost as much as I love sports. Well, I appreciate it, brother. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. You too, you too. And, oh, it was very good. And uh, we're having another Thanksgiving dinner tonight because you can't, you can't just have one Thanksgiving dinner. You've got to have two. And uh, congratulations on your uh, new engagement. Thank you, thank you. Welcome. Good. Um, before I start, I just noticed today um, the internet is blowing up with the uh, the new Star Wars trailer. Have you had a chance to check it out yet? I have. I have. It, it was a life changing experience, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Like uh, I follow a lot of people on Twitter, and you know, for the most part, I think it's pretty positive. But there's definitely some question marks. I mean. These teasers are just so short. I think everyone just wants more. Right. Well, for, um, yeah. for me, it was good enough when I saw the uh, Millennium Falcon at the end and the Star Wars theme. That was enough for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially because, like, well, I mean, I could go on for hours. But, yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> All right. Well, let me get to your particulars first. Um, you can find um, Eric on Twitter at JunkFoodGuy. Um, JunkFoodGuy.com is his blog. And, of course, The Nosh Show which is another fabulous podcast. Uh, if you haven't already subscribed, please do. Leave some nice comments. And while you're there, if you have a second, you should uh, subscribe to this little show also and leave some more favorable comments. All right, um, we're going to talk food and sports with Eric since we have him for a few minutes. Um, I want to start with this because I was so hoping, fingers crossed, that you were going to give this a good review. The Red Velvet Fudge Stripes. And I'm with yeah. you. I'm with you on the Red Velvet. It's, it can be hit or miss. Um, but this one... Was a hit, right? According to your review. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the thing about these uh, fun strike cookies is that they're they're crunchy cookies. You know, I think most of us are used to having red velvet in cakes or cupcakes, stuff like that. So I was really, really kind of not sure about what to expect. But with anything, the thing I was really looking forward to first was that cream cheese icing flavor. And if it had that, I would. It probably would win me over. And right. As soon as you open the package up, you can get that smell. So I, I was pretty stoked. All right, and um, what about the staying on the, the the chocolate theme? What about the dark chocolate and milk chocolate lays? Well, those were uh, pretty awesome. I mean, you know, the milk chocolate lays they came out last year. Um, and I feel like, I feel like they're kind of like an unlimited run because they were hard to find. I finally tracked them back out in like a random place in Target. Um, but this year, when they came out with a dark chocolate version as well. Uh, I knew I had to pick those up. I, I prefer personally like dark chocolate over milk chocolate. And the bag is a little bit different. You know, it's just a little larger salt crystals, which I thought would be really, really good with uh, making the dark chocolate stand out more. And uh, I was right. <laughs> I mean, when you open this bag up, these chips these, these are really thickly coated with chocolate, yet there's still plenty of potato that's exposed. And so you really, really get that good pairing of salty and sweet and that, ex that extra really help make that chocolate pop. So right. if you can find these, I would definitely recommend it. Right, and you know, I used to think uh, sweet and salty was were two things that are mutually exclusive, but um, in my later years and my fatter years, yeah. I've discovered that they're actually uh, good friends. The The last thing I want to ask you about um, that was in your most recent posts, the and this sounded very frightening, so please tell me if I'm wrong or not, the Boulder Thanksgiving Feast Kettle Cooked Chips? Question mark? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, Boulder 
Kenny's a chip company that I've seen for a while. I mean, generally, I think Boulder Canyon does their chips pretty well. You know, for the first time, I think they they actually have a really good foam vinegar chip, which was really, really tangy. Um, and I think, you know, after the whole craze of those layers, there's the flavor where there's lots of wacky exchange of flavors. Uh, it only made sense that Boulder Canyon or that any chip company would come along and try to do an entire Thanksgiving meal uh, in a bag. Well, at least I think it makes sense. So they have uh, these large bags of four, uh, four smaller bags of chips sold at Target. Each bag is a different Thanksgiving flavor. One is turkey and gravy. One is stuffing. One is cranberry, uh, cranberry sauce, I guess, and the other is pumpkin pie. And uh, I was a little hesitant going in, but I tried all four, uh, reviewed them on my blog, and I have to say they were not, <laughs> they weren't entirely offensive. They actually did pretty well. I think sometimes a lot of these chip companies try to just pound the flavor down your throat without regard with how chip tastes overall on the chip. But uh, I think the special stuffing and turkey and gravy chips were the most palatable. But the cranberry ones weren't bad. They kind of taste like you were dipping a, a potato chip into like duck sauce, like Chinese duck sauce. Right. And the pumpkin pie one tasted uh, um, not, not too bad either. I mean, Pringles has already been doing sweet flavors. For a while, and then a lot of people aren't too crazy about them. But the, the pumpkin pie ones weren't that surprising to me. Right. Um, so yeah, they all, they all kind of worked. I, I'd be surprised if they didn't try something else new again next year. And that that was a ringing endorsement, by the way. They're not entirely offensive. They should put that on the bag. <laughs> the. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the cranberry ones, I have to say, kind of scared me. But the gravy ones, very intrigued was I. So I'm glad to hear they were pretty good. Um, oh, yeah. On your advice, by the way, on your on your blog, I think you you reviewed these. I'm not sure when, but but within the last few weeks, the the bacon and maple pretzel pieces. Oh yeah, from uh, Hanover. Yeah, life changing, my friend. Life changing. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I almost yeah. ate an entire bag in one sitting, which is gross, but that's okay because it's my show. <laughs> it's definitely okay. Yeah, Snyder's Hanover. It, I mean, I've been looking for a while, and every single flavor that's come out with it is pretty spot on. And that, those maple bacon ones, especially, have so much. No. Kind of surprising, actually, when you first eat them, but uh, I couldn't stop either. No, you can actually, you can taste both. I mean, you can. it smells like maple syrup, and then when you actually eat them, you can taste the bacon and the maple, as we get uber-technical about snack foods. But you can, you can taste both. It's not just one kind of amorphous blob of artificial flavor. Yeah, I think it's pretty fascinating. Those, those, those special pieces are pretty awesome, and you're making me want to go out and get them right now. Yeah, I, I, I've always liked them. All right, let me ask you this. Is there anything that you have... Uh, can you do a little preview of, of coming attractions? Because it is the holiday season, so I'm sure, like with pumpkin spice in the fall, there's going to be just a deluge of Christmas, if you can still say Christmas, Christmas-themed foods. Um, I saw the, the mini Oreos on, that you posted uh, about an hour ago, the uh, the mini candy cane-flavored Oreos versus the, oh, yeah. white, versus the white fudge Oreos. I definitely went for the... Uh, the mini candy cane, but is there anything else on the horizon that we should be uh, looking out for? Well, it's funny. I mean, you know, going grocery shopping with me is always kind of like a, a slow experience because basically I'm like tiptoeing down these aisles, scanning all the shelves for anything new. So you know that my uh, fiance is thrilled about that. Right. But um, so, I, so I got my eyes open and looking around, and, and I think today, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, I think we're going to start getting into a lot more widespread releases because. Uh, all I've seen so far, quite frankly, are um, things that have come out already in the past years. You know, like you mentioned the white fudge Oreos, as well as the candy cane Oreos. Those have been around for a while. 
Um, I did, you know, I did have my eyes on the lookout for certain things I haven't seen yet, but I think they're coming soon to stores near you or me. And those are like, uh, like there's going to be red velvet peeps, those marshmallow mm. peeps. So they're going to be coming out soon, red velvet peeps. Right. Uh, jelly Belly is actually somewhere I've seen. You're going to have a holiday flavor pack of Jelly Belly jelly beans. Right. Taste like that sounds good. Pie. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited to see how those come out with an entire mix of holiday ones with those. Um, you know, I, I have in my possession right now, I think, I'm not sure if these are new, but they're Hershey's Peppermint Bark Bells. Mm. Uh, I feel like I might have seen them before, but I'm going to review these things because these are a favorite of mine. A uh, combination of white chocolate and milk chocolate with uh, peppermint bark pieces throughout. Wow. Um, yeah, and, then, and even in the cracker game, even though it's not necessarily holiday-focused, right. I know that there's some companies coming out with new products soon. Um, there's going to be balsamic vinegar tristes coming out soon. There's going to be Italian herb wrists coming out soon. I'm still on the lookout for um, combos. Combos are doing a sweet version now. They're going to have salted caramel and uh, kind of like a vanilla frosting uh, mm. filling in, in combos soon. So all of these things I'm looking out for the holiday season soon. I'm sure they're gonna they're gonna come out and try to release it. Shoppers right. are in stores more often. Vanilla frosted combos or the frosting inside the combo? Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Oh, they're gonna find me face down in the uh, cracker aisle at the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that sounds really. It's a good thing we're not on TV right now. That's all I can say because that sounds really amazing. I'm uh, pleased to be joined, of course, uh, by Eric Wong, the junk food guy. Check him out at uh, thejunkfoodguy.com. All right, now you had said to me earlier that you wanted to talk sports too, which you know means a lot to me, near and dear to my heart. Um, I know you live in D.C. I know you're a Bills fan. We're going to get to them in a moment. But certainly living in D.C., you can't go five minutes without being uh, besieged with Redskin talk. So RG3 is benched. The Colt McCoy era begins uh, in two days. Um, Your thoughts on the benching of Griffin? Well, I mean, you know, you walk around D.C. and everyone has different opinions. And so it's really hard to find It shouldn't matter how many draft picks they gave up when the, when considering this decision. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I mean, they're going to go with next year's draft, finally with all the draft picks intact. So I think if you're going to make a decision, they might as well be cattle. I mean, if, you're, if you really think you're going to look for the next quarterback next year's draft, either in the first or second round, then um, the, the thing for me is that, like, you don't want to have the rest of the team looking at the coach, wondering why he keeps on trotting out the quarterback who maybe doesn't deserve to be there. Right. I mean, you've heard all the talk about losing the locker room and stuff like that. I don't know how far that goes, but it's true. I mean, in any organization you work for, if you look at your upper management and they're doing something that's highly questionable, right. I think you are going to 
confidence. And some of those guys are going to be there for more than just next year. So, and if RG3 is not going to be, then right. you got to get another one. That's, that's how I look at it. I mean, if we want to keep Deshaun Jackson around, who, you know, like every other receiver is a prima donna and a diva, but a darn good receiver, he. You want him happy with someone who can actually get him the ball. If you're overthrowing Deshaun Jackson, that's bad because he nobody overthrows Deshaun Jackson. He's too fast. Well, exactly. I mean, or if you, I mean, well, first you have to throw the ball. There he is, I guess. Right. So, so. let's let's move up north then. Uh, speaking of of first round quarterbacks, um, yeah. other than his <laughs> other than his um, child molester mustache, you have to be happy. I presume with the with Kyle Orton starting versus EJ Manuel, has that really turned your team around? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. Bill season's been hard to follow too. I mean, I, I think they're playing better. Oh, well, God, I have so many feelings about the Buffalo Bills. Chris Lapp is the one one uh, talking point. I, you know, when when the Bills drafted EJ Manuel, I was I was not thrilled personally. Right. Uh, I know what they're doing, but you know, I was willing to give him a chance, and he just showed flashes. You know, I, I wondered if it was around the time when everyone wanted to do the whole, uh, uh, you know, the things that RG3 and Colin Kaepernick were doing, and they wanted EJ Manuel within the hold. Um, but I think that that kind of died out quickly, and they need some kind of veteran presence in there. Now, Kyle Orton hasn't been a world leader, and I don't like the fact that he doesn't throw downfield very very much. I mean right. Washington, I think he's kind of being wasted right now. Right. But um the Wits are winning sometimes. Um I mean with Buffalo I mean we've had so many quarterback troubles over God, over the past like fifteen to sixteen years that uh that I, 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 I don't know what the answer is anymore. You know, either you fix your line, you fix your quarterback for some sometimes, you take a shot like the rest of the with RG three. Right. It's tough. I mean so with Kyle Orton yeah, I mean, he's doing, he's doing fine, you know. I'm glad he's doing better than expected. You know, when he came in to back up, right. well, I was super thrilled. But, but hey, you know, he's playing up there. <laughs> My friend, uh, my friend Roach, um, he's a, he's from Buffalo. He's a big Bills fan. And I always tell, I always ask him. I said, is is Orton to Watkins the new uh, Kelly to Reed? And he just kind of you know sneers at me. Do you have the same reaction when I say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's obviously cool. I want not the long-term solution, and uh, and I'm sure your friend is just thinks you're being sarcastic. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the good thing about Orton is that he knows how to spread the ball around a little bit more. Um, each week, there's a more wide receiver, you know, getting involved. Robert Woods is getting involved a lot more. Chris Hogan, but um, right. But yeah, he's a he's a safe quarterback. You know, I have to say, quarterback position is so difficult in the NFL. I give Orton a lot of credit because it is a position that can go south very, very quickly. So the fact that he's doing as well as he is, um, I give him a lot of credit for that. I just don't see him as a long-term solution. Right, all right. Let me let me let you get out of here on this one. I've noticed that you've... I've, I've read your vitriol towards uh, Vincent Jackson, who only seems to do well when you don't start him. Uh, is he your biggest... <laughs> is he your biggest fantasy disappointment this year? Oh, God, there's so many. There's so many. I mean, I had to draft in Monte Ball in the first round. That went south. Right. Um, yeah, Vincent Jackson. I had I had Monte Ball and Doug Martin on the team at the same time. Mm. That was nice job. I mean, yeah, Doug Martin is dead to me. I'll never draft him ever, ever again. But I lucked out because I got a uh, Tom Brady in the third round, so that helped carry my team a little bit. Although the first few weeks was a little dicey. Right. Um, 
But then I got like <laughs> Jack in the fifth round, so basically three out of my first five picks been bust. I've been lucky to try to eat my way into the playoffs. Right, yeah, I'm uh, I'm 500 now, hoping that I can win my last two. If you had to pick one fantasy player, that would be the uh, vanilla frosted combos of your team. Who would that be? Ooh, kind of like a guy. Well, I picked up CJ Anderson. He's definitely been huge for me. Right, and hopefully down the stretch, he'll be the key to my victory. Right. Okay. All right, well, Eric, thank you very much for uh, for being on the show today. It was it's a big thrill. Ordinarily, as I said, I say I tell people to check out your stuff and I, we talk about some food but this time having you on the show has been quite a thrill for me and I hope we can uh, have you on again maybe maybe real soon yeah I'd love to thank you for having me on alright I'll talk to you later ok bye you. many many thanks to Eric Wong the junk food guy for appearing live with us here on the bitterness and rage show uh, it was a real thrill folks to not just have the QSR Spotlight sponsored by the Junk Food Guy, but to have him on with us. Uh, remember, uh, junkfoodguy.com, it's a great blog, The Nosh Show, check it out on iTunes, subscribe, do yourself a gigantic favor, and make that part of your regular podcast diet, and give him a follow on Twitter, at Junk Food Guy. So that brings us now to the Dope of the Week, my favorite segment. And the Dope of the Week is someone slightly near and dear to my heart, because he Spent a couple seasons with the uh, Washington Wizards when they were just a team that played in the NBA. They were pretty much everybody's homecoming date. And he spent a, a solid six seasons taking up bench space, a roster spot with the Wizards. Nick Young, who calls himself Swaggy P, which sounds like the nickname of somebody who's a seven-time All-Star. Um, we'll get to that in a moment, how many times Nick Young's been an all-star. Now the Los Angeles Lakers. On November 19th, they beat the Houston Rockets, making them 2-0 uh, since Nick Young returned to the lineup, and they started the season 1-9. So they start 1-9, Nick Young returns to the lineup, and they were at this point 2-0 uh, after they beat Houston on, on, on uh, November 19th. And he was interviewed. The Swagman was interviewed after it and he said and I'm quoting from the interview it's all about my swag that's a part of my repertoire I'm talking about how I just walk off I leave a presence when I walk off I'm like Michael Jackson Prince all them other guys end quote I know you're hysterically laughing right now at the thought of Nick Young comparing himself to Prince and uh, Michael Jackson so I'll let that subside for a moment. Here's a little music for you. Your laughter subsiding music. And we're back. So, okay, uh, maybe I'm 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 being a little harsh on the swagman. Maybe old swaggy P. And I'm sure the P stands for professional. Maybe he is like Michael Jackson and Prince. So, okay, um, let's. I did a little research. I had the uh, the bitterness and rage show research team uh, research both Prince and Michael Jackson. So let's look at uh, some of the accomplishments of Prince and Michael Jackson. Uh, let's see: uh, ten platinum albums, thirty top forty singles. This is Prince. He's won seven Grammy awards, four MTV awards, and one Academy Award. Huh, not bad. That's not bad. Uh, Michael Jackson. 
has is a member of six Hall of Fames, and we'll get to how many Hall of Fames Swaggy P is a member of. Uh, let's see, he's on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, uh, double inductee in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, both as a solo artist and part of the Jackson 5. The Vocal Group Hall of Fame, Songwriters Hall of Fame, Dance Hall of Fame, Rhythm and Blues, Music Hall of Fame. I didn't know there were so many Hall of Fames. Uh, eight Guinness World Records. I'm not sure what for, but that's eight more than most people have. Uh, let's see, 13 Grammy Awards, 26 American Music Awards, 13 number one singles, which is more than any other male artist in what they called the Hot 100 era. And um, he's only sold mm, about 400 million records worldwide. Okay, that's uh, those were some pretty impressive resumes. And now let's turn to our good friend, the Swagmeister, Swaggy P. Let's see. Um, what did I say? Six Hall of Fames? Seven Hall of Fames for Michael Jackson? Um, how many Hall of Fames for Nick Young, both high school or college? Not pros. He's still playing pros. Um, that'd be zero. Uh, okay, you know, he was a two-time two first-team All-Pac-10 player um, while he was at USC. Uh, that was in 2006 and 2007. Isn't that fabulous? Isn't that fabulous? So let me run down the Nick Young career accomplishments, including all of his All-Star appearances and playoff appearance MVPs and so on. So I'm going to read the list, and you tell me. Compare Nick Young to Prince and to Michael Jackson. Ready? Two-time first-team All-Pac-10 honors. That's it. Drive home safely. There's the whole list. Twice first-team All-Pac-10, drive home safely. That's the list of the Nick Young, the Swaggy P honors for his swagness. So he's close. He's real, real close to accomplishing in his career what Michael Jackson and Prince accomplished in their careers. And I said that with a straight face, which is the most impressive thing about this entire podcast. So Nick, Mr. Young, the P-Man, the swagster, if you're going to compare yourself to people, compare yourself to lesser musicians, lesser basketball players. Don't go right for the top. And say, it's me. Here's the big three, folks, in entertainment. Michael Jackson, Prince, Swaggy P. That's it. That's the list. Those are the people that command a presence that change the fortunes of others. Please. I think if you ask Mrs. Young, Mama Swag, if she would put her son with Michael Jackson, Prince, um, I don't know that she would have quite the same reaction as I would, but she might have to think about it for a minute. So... Comparing yourself to legends, not a good idea when all you've done professionally is um, what I've done professionally. Swaggy P and I have the same number of scoring titles and MVPs um, in, in the NBA, which I think is great. I'm not comparing myself to Prince or Michael Jackson. Maybe I should. Is that all it takes? Welcome to the Bitterness and Rage show, which is only equaled by Prince and Michael Jackson. I might try that in the next show open. So, Nick Young. For your unbelievable vanity and narcissism, you are the Bitterness and Rage Show Dope of the Week. All right, folks, it was another steaming pile of goodness. Happy Thanksgiving, a show covered in the gravy of entertainment. Ugh, even I grossed myself out with that one. Um, thank you all for listening. It's been a pleasure, as always, being your post-Thanksgiving food coma 
uh, companion member at Bitter and Rage on the Twitter machines, iTunes, Bitterness and Rage Show. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Bitterness and Rage at gmail.com. That's where you can send me all the fan mail. And please remember and don't ever forget that the Bitterness and Rage Show is a Mia Soti Cologne production. And I will see you on the other side, Ray. Right?